Uh, it may, might seem like a bit of an odd thing to do, but, but I wanted us to uh, just think a, a moment or two on a couple of questions as we start. First, uh, how many of you, where you are, 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 were born and raised but are still living in the same place or very close to where you were born or raised? Second question, how many of you are, are, are working and living what you might call your dream job? You know, like, uh, you, you just, or, or you've done that and you were able to do that for your whole life and then retire from it. And the third question, how many of you ended up doing something that you never expected to do in your life? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that out there, there are hands going up. <laughs> One final question I wanted to ask. Was 2020 what you expected? <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us expected to be dealing with shutdowns and lockdowns and quarantines and shortages of toilet paper and hand sanitizer and more. All thanks to a little virus called SARS-CoV-2, but better known as COVID-19 or just everybody calls it COVID. Um, the dumpster fire is, is, a, is a meme. It, it's an, a description of something that's utterly cal uh, a calamity or a really mismanaged situation or, or a disaster, basically. And, and some people have said, yeah, this is 2020. But some other people went farther than that. They said, well, you know, a train wreck is another good uh, illustration or meme for a real disaster. This is a, 2020 was a train wreck inside a dumpster fire. Yeah. Uh, things don't always turn out the way we hope. Life happens. But because things don't turn out the way we expect, doesn't make them bad things. Some of the things that happened in 2020 actually have been very, very good. Um, we have another grandchild, and he is four months old, and he is just, well, he's just the cutest little thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I know my, my, my friends are getting tired of hearing me talk about him. But, uh, yeah, he's pretty cute, and he was a good thing that came out of 2020. Some things that happen may not seem good at the time, but sometimes they turn out different. They turn out to be quite good. They may not be what we expected. I didn't expect to be doing this for the rest of my life. I, I never. But my career and my calling to pastoral ministry is a really good example of something that is unexpected, but that can be good. If you had told me, somebody had told me in 1980 that I would become a pastor and a preacher. I would have been on the floor laughing. For that matter, if you told me that I would become a follower of Jesus at that time, I probably would have scoffed at you. Neither of them have been part of my plan. My plan <laughs> was get rich <laughs> or, or do something that I liked to do, make enough money, to, to get by and, and do the things I wanted to, work a little and have fun. God had something entirely different planned for me. I just didn't know it at the time. Well, what happened? Well, what happened was that God broke into my world. When God breaks in, it can catch us by surprise. 
I, I can look back now and say, yeah, yeah, I was surprised, <laughs> really surprised. It was not what I expected. It's been good. It's, it's been great, in fact, but not what I expected, not at all. The story of the birth of Jesus is like this. I mean, think about it. Who expected that God would make himself known to the world the way he did? Who was really ready to meet God the baby? It was not what they expected. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So please pray with me as we begin. Father, many of us, most of us, know the, know the words to this story. Maybe some of us could almost recite them by heart. But Lord, I pray you'd just show us the deeper meaning that you have here and what we can learn about ourselves and about what you want to do as we listen to this. And we ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So our Advent focus this week, as we've already talked about, was the announcement, the annunciation of Jesus' imminent birth, that it was coming soon. Now, actually, there were two birth miracles uh, announced almost at the same time. And we're going to look at both of those from the book of Luke. And, and what we're going to see, and we're going to look at how these soon-to-be mothers and fathers, or the mothers and their husbands, handled this amazing news. And it's, so it's the story of two appearances of a messenger from God, but two very different responses. We're, we're, God had been silent in Israel. He had been silent for 400 years. Have you ever had or given, had somebody give you the silent treatment? Yeah, two hours feels like a lifetime. 400 years God had not spoken to his people. And now he's going to speak again. And so the angel comes. The first visit is to a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. The story is from Luke 1, and we're going to start at verse 5. So let's just uh, read this together, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of, of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, 
and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Wow. Well, the baby, of course, is John, the one we call John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. His parents had an amazing spiritual heritage. Both of them, says, both were descendants in the line of the priests. Both of them. Zechariah from, from a priest named Abijah and Elizabeth was in, in the line of Moses' brother Aaron, the first priest in the sacrificial system that God instituted. Now, in his duties, in this case, included making sacrifices, burning incense, which was represented the prayers of the people going to heaven, interceding in prayer for Israel, and also interceding and praying for people, and also personal prayer. He's described, they're both described in, as righteous. The older NIV says they were both considered upright in that they scrupulously observed all the Lord's commands. They followed everything. And they, were, they, they wanted it. They wanted to. Said he was devoted to God. He served God with his whole heart. But the couple was childless, and that's a problem. Being childish in Jewish culture, childless, sorry, was a, a terrible misfortune and was, was considered a, a disgrace. Not being able to have children was thought to be a judgment from God for some kind of sin. So there was this stigma on them, even though in every other respect they were righteous and upright. There was still a stigma. They, did have, they had no children. And, and to make matters worse now, when the angel comes, they're both very old. And we know from the timelines, they were far beyond normal childbearing years. And in human terms, basically, what they're saying is there was no possibility of Elizabeth conceiving. None. But what the angel, what does this, the angel tells them, shocks them. I'm, it would have shocked them. What's his message? Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. 
Wow, it's been heard. Here's the answer. And, and the word that they used for prayer here shows that it was Zechariah's personal prayer, not one of the prayers for Israel. They'd probably been praying for a child for a long time, and maybe now they'd given up. So the angel then says, you will have a son. Not just a child, but a son, which in their culture meant that Zechariah's family line would be preserved. You're going to name him John, which was a departure because usually the child was named something from the father or the grandfather or someone in the line of descent. No, he says, you're going to name him John. John means Yahweh has shown favor. The Lord has shown favor. And then the angel tells him four things about John. It says, he's going to be a joy and a delight to you. Pff, duh. Most, most people are just, just ecstatic when they have kids. Certainly. But after such a long wait, of course. Great happiness. But then he says, the Lord will be great in the Lord's sight. The boy will be great in the Lord's sight. And many people will rejoice because of him. Third, he says, he's not allowed to drink any wine or fermented drink. Not at all. In the surrounding cultures, in the other religions, it was a common belief that fermented drink gave the priests their power. It was part of their religious observation. And God was, didn't want any of that. Because God wanted them to know that the power was from God alone. Because then he also told them John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. The Holy Spirit had not been given to everyone yet. And the Holy Spirit would come on people in the Old Testament times, but for a particular purpose. In this one, he says, John will be filled from birth. And then he tells them four things about John's mission. He says, He's going to go on before or ahead of the Lord in the same power that Elijah the prophet went, God's power, and that John would fulfill what another prophet, Isaiah, said in chapter 40 of his prophecies. And that was the prophecy that said, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that was a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Kick the rocks out of the road. Make that road straight. He's coming. John would also fulfill another prophecy. Said he would turn the hearts of the parents toward their children. That was prophesied by uh, one of the minor prophets, Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. Malachi said this. See, God speaking through his prophet. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That's point two. Third, what else would John do? He would point people toward God. He would point people toward them. The message of preparing, repent for the forgiveness of sins. And so by that message and what John did, John, last point, would make them ready for the Messiah's appearance. Ready in the sense that 
their hearts would be right, but they would recognize and respond to the Messiah when he comes. So John played an incredibly important role. At born, he was born in the line of the priests. Priests would connect people with God. But this time, John would not be the intermediary. He wouldn't be the person that went to God for you, but point you directly to the one to come. Well, how did Zechariah respond to this fantastic news? <laughs> how can I be sure? And, and, and it's like he's saying, as we'd say today, give me a sign. How do I know what you're telling me is even, how do I know this isn't bogus? So he expresses doubt. And he's saying, and he, and he says to the angel, he's talking back, he says, look, I'm old. My wife is old. In human terms, this is impossible. Uh, he doesn't believe the message. Well, Zechariah gets his sign because the angel identifies himself. Um, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. Gulp. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. But because of his unbelief, Zechariah loses the ability to speak until the day his child is born. He has nine months to think about how he responded to this message from God. Yeah, nine months. Okay, so contrast that with his wife Elizabeth's response. What does Elizabeth do when she hears her response? The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And remember what John meant? Yahweh has shown favor. She, she recognized it right away. She recognized her pregnancy as God's favor. And, and, and I have a feeling that about a, maybe a, a few microseconds after Zechariah lost the ability to speak, he realized it too. Now, why is this so interesting? <laughs> because Luke, when he wrote this down, he points out that Zechariah and Elizabeth were an example of the best Israel had to offer. The best. He was devoted to God, followed the, the laws scrupulously. Then the question is, why didn't he believe God's messenger? We don't know, but I have a suspicion was he discouraged after years of praying for children and maybe had given up? That, that's what we can do when times get tough or when we aren't hearing from God or listening. But don't forget, God is the God of the impossible. What's impossible for us is possible with God. Now, those words sound familiar. Jesus spoke them. It's farther along in Luke in chapter 18, Luke 18, 27.
So we have two visits from an angel, two visitations, two responses. So the second one, of course, is the angel visits Mary, and then Joseph is going to hear from God in a dream. So this is delivered, and, and Mary, by the way, was Elizabeth's cousin. Um, and she was young. Most, most people say that she would have been around 13 or 14 years old at this point. So let's uh, carry on on the story. Uh, verse 26, and we'll finish our story today. In the sixth month of Gabriel's pregnancy, of, sorry, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, my, my, I went down one line. In the sixth months of, Eliz of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Usually when angels showed up, people were very fearful because they thought it meant death. No, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word of God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to, be, to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So, what do we know about Mary and Joseph? In the first century, marriage took place much younger than today. Uh, between 13 and 15 years old, if you were a girl. The angel tells us, or the story tells us, uh, Mary was a virgin. She had never had sexual relations. She was pledged to be married to Joseph. Uh, the, the pledging was the first stage of a Jewish marriage. They were considered legally to be married, but the marriage would not have been consummated until after the wedding. And what's the angel's message? You've found favor with God. Do you remember Elizabeth's response? <laughs> she saw the favor right away. You will conceive and give birth to a son, another son. You are to name him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. And she al he also tells her, you're the son of the Most High. In other words, he's God. He will be king over the house of Jacob, Israel. He will rule Israel forever. And he will rule an eternal kingdom, a kingdom with no end. Who can rule an eternal kingdom but the Lord God?
And Mary's only question to all of this was, how will this be? Because, she points out to the angel as if the angel didn't know, because I, I've never been with a man. I'm a virgin. And the request is more for information. It isn't an expression of doubt like Zechariah's question. She, she just wants to know, how, how, how could this be? And so the angel tells her, the child will be born of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will conceive. And then he tells, him, tells her, the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. And he will be holy because, of course, his Father in heaven is holy. And unlike Zechariah, Mary doesn't ask for a sign. But this messenger from heaven gives her one anyway, tells her about the other miracle. Her cousin Elizabeth is now pregnant. And Mary knew how long her cousin and, and, and Zechariah had been trying to have a family. And she knew their distress over being childless. What great news! Luke goes on to tell us, by the way, that Mary went to see Elizabeth and John. Uh, what great news, though. Not able to conceive, and now she's in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Nothing is impossible with God. So Mary responds, simply, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to be me be fulfilled. How did Joseph hear about the baby? Well, actually, we don't, it's not written down, but he probably heard from Mary. That would have been a conversation, huh? Uh, but we don't know for sure. But the way he responded is recorded in Matthew. It says that Joseph was a just man. He was a kind man. And he didn't get a face-to-face -face encounter with God's messenger, but an angel appeared to him in a dream. So if you want to keep a finger in Luke and go to Matthew, we can turn and read this as well. Chapter 1 of Matthew, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. 
and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, what was Joseph's response? He did exactly as the angel commanded when he woke up. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, the women come out way better in this story than the men. <laughs> really. I mean, Zechariah plainly doubted what the angel said. Joseph, well, he assumed, I think, there was only one way to, a girl could get pregnant, and, and he was going to quietly divorce her because I think he really loved her, and he was a just man. But he had to have his mind changed by an angel in a dream. And when he heard that, he immediately responded. Elizabeth, on the other hand, she got it right away. Mary? Yeah. What you see in Mary is this, this quiet faith of someone who believed the angel and completely trusted that, that it was right. And her faith in God shines through. Well, that's the story. Where do we fit in it? Well, are you a Mary, an Elizabeth, a Joseph, or a Zechariah? You know, it's okay to ask for a clearer picture if you aren't quite sure what God is saying. That's okay. People of faith are not blind followers. If, uh, but then, we rarely have face-to-face -face encounters with God, do we? So it's okay to ask for clarification. It's okay to ask, the how, well, how can this be, or how will this happen? You see, it isn't the questioning that matters. It's what's in our heart that matters. When God calls, are we willing? That's the real issue. Elizabeth was willing. So were Mary and Joseph, once it was explained to Joseph. Zechariah, not so much. But he got with the program and ended up praising God when he realized that what he had hoped for years for years, was finally going to happen. Not just the birth of a son for them, but that the Messiah was about to appear. And he started realizing his son was going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. And, and so when the baby is born and, and the relatives gather around and they're asking the, the father in that culture, what's the child's name going to be? He, he couldn't say it, but he wrote it down on paper. His name is John. And the first words out of his mouth in nine months were praise to God. His tongue was loosed, I think it says in the King James. Zechariah realized. Oh, you can read his praise, by the way, the end of chapter 1, Luke 1, verses 67 to 79 is, is Zechariah's praise. But he realized this was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. The Messiah was about to come, and his son was going to be that forerunner. 
you know, the God we serve is the same God who arranged these miracles. The same God. A child for Zechariah and Elizabeth and the truly astonishing birth of the Savior of the world to Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary said yes to God. What about us? Can we say those words when God speaks? Says to do something. Are we willing? Because when we are willing, when we are willing, what you'll find is that God can do extraordinary things through just ordinary people. Extraordinary things. When God is willing, when we are willing, God can do extraordinary things through us. So then, what is the response God wants to hear when he says to do something? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. One of our songs says, that the chorus is, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. And I think now I get it. It's saying yes to God. Here I am, Lord. May your word to me be fulfilled. Because the way we respond reveals what we're made of. It, it takes faith to recognize God's voice but it also takes character to say yes. The big question is, am I willing? Am I willing to change direction if God says change? Might not be what I expect. That's okay. Because it's what God asks that matters. We can't know what God is thinking. We can't know everything that God wants from us. That's a fool's game. There is one thing God always wants, though. He wants his people to say yes to him. You know, sometimes we, we pray for God to move in our lives when what's really happening is God is there waiting for us to take simple steps of obedience and do what he's already shown to us. Steps that will lead into that fullness of his plan for us. And, and that might mean, depending on you, where you are, that might mean trying again. It might mean, well, trying again, because I mean, how many of us really get it right the first time anyway? <laughs> it might mean holding on and trusting him through a storm, a real bad one. And it might also mean stepping out in an unexpected way. Do we have the faith to say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want. Yes, Lord, even though it seems impossible, we will do what you want. Because if we have that kind of faith, we will see God's future open for us. Amen. Amen. We're going to, uh, I'm going to have to move this stand so I can use this mic. We're going to observe communion now.
I think for the camera, I think I'll just bring this back up to the where I was speaking from. Uh, yeah, this wasn't what we expected either, was it? We're so used to and, and have such joy when we share together among each other and share this. But we're doing that still because as we have communion together, God knows we are together. We're just not in the same building. And so, one of the two things that Jesus said, he gave us as commands, was this, to remember him. To remember not just that he came, not just that he was born, but why he came. And in one of our other Christmas carols that we'll sing in the next week or two, one of the lines says, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons and daughters of earth. Yeah. And so, are we still, on, still good, Hayden? Okay, good. Okay. And so he gave us symbols. First uh, Corinthians 11 and the Gospels tell us on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus shared a supper with his disciples, a last supper. And they met together in an upper room around a simple meal, very much like the Passover meal. It was probably the Passover meal that they were used to observing as, as, as Jews. Those first ones were all Jewish. And he lifted the elements from the meal. He said he lifted the bread to heaven, gave thanks for it, then broke it, and passed it to the rest of them, and they passed it around. And he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. They had no clue what he was talking about at that point. We do, because we know his body would be broken on a cross as he was giving his life as a sacrifice to pay for our sin. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. So in the little cup that we have, the top layer peels off and we have a small wafer. If you're at home, you probably have a small loaf or a piece of flat bread. It doesn't exactly matter except what it symbolizes. That as we take this together, we remember the Lord's body broken for us, and this represents it. And so, thank you, Lord, for this symbol that you have given to us. May we have a deeper appreciation and never forget the cost of the relationship we have with you now. Amen. And so he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this when you do it. Remember me. After supper, he took the cup, one of the cups of wine in the meal, the one that represented redemption, rescue. It represented rescue passed over by the, the, the angel of death when the people of Israel were rescued from Egypt. And that's what they would always remember in their Seder, their Passover supper. We remember that we have passed over 
that death has passed over us through the sacrifice of Jesus because through his sacrifice in my place, I no longer have to die. And so he took the same cup, but he redefined it. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant I'm making with you in my blood. His disciples called him the Lamb of God. John called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He became the sacrifice lamb on that cross. And so as we do this, we remember that. We say, Jesus said, this is the new covenant I am making with you in my blood. Do this when you do. Remember me. And he said, when you do, you are proclaiming what has been done until I return. And the reminder is also there. He's going to return. We don't know how. Or we know how, but we don't know when. So we live our life as though it could happen in the next moment, but we also live our life as though we will honor him and serve him for a full life whenever that ends. Let's going to sing one final song that combines these two because it reminds us once more of why Jesus came. in the retelling of the birth story. So let's sing that now. What hope we hold in this starlit night A king is born in Bethlehem Our journey long we seek the light That leads to the hallowed manger ground What fear we felt in the silent age for hundred years can he be found, but broken by a baby's cry, rejoice in the hallowed manger ground. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God incarnate here to dwell, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, praise his name, Emmanuel. 
the Son of God, here born to David, a crown of thorns would pierce his brow. And we beheld this offering, exalted now the King of kings. Praise God for the hallowed manger ground. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God incarnate, here to dwell. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, praise his name, Emmanuel, 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 God Emmanuel, Emmanuel, praise his name, Emmanuel, God with us, Let's pray. Lord God, Emmanuel, God with us, still amazes us, fills us with wonder, fills us with joy to know no matter what we go through, you are with us, you see us through. Lord, thank you for your amazing plan to make yourself known to us in a way that people wouldn't run away in fright through a small child who would grow to be and always was the savior of the world and lay his life down for us. And so, Lord, as we remember this time of the year, this season, we remember most why you came. Because you came, we sing these songs and tell these stories with great, great joy. Great joy. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you this week. I hope you have a, a great week as you let these stories soak in, as you read through the accounts of the Christmas story uh, from the Gospels. And as we reflect in this time of Advent on the, the, the fullness of what it really meant. Amen.